0: Thanks, Dave. It is true, Dave's given me plenty of stuff to read. He's like a slightly taller, smaller-eared, forward-talking Yoda um, for me, but um, I, I am excited to be here. I'm excited for where we're going uh, in this series, Follow, and, and really, Dave said this is his favorite passage. It's easy to see because this is almost the, the climax. It's pointing us to the end. This is where everything starts speeding up and gaining traction towards the end of the Gospel of Mark. Um, Today we'll be in Mark 10. We're going to spend some time in verses 17 through 31. And we'll uncover that that we, just like the people that heard this passage the first time, uh, tend to put conditions on how we follow Christ. We tend to put conditions in the way of us following Him unconditionally. And um, you'll find Mark 10 on page 846 in the Black Bibles in front of you. Um, If not, you can just follow along as we read uh, from the Word. In verse 17, it starts, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel that will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. If y'all pray with me real quick, we'll ask uh, the Lord's guidance through this. God, I thank you for your truth that you've given to us. God, I just pray that, that your spirit would move in us and reveal the things that are of you, Father God, that your truth would come alive through his direction, and that we would see clearly how to follow you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we see again that today, in our following series, that Jesus commands us to follow Him unconditionally. And, and unconditionally, we mean to follow Him without limits or, or conditions. And you see, growing up, I was, uh, I was the only boy on my mother's side of the family. I had a sister, and then I had a cousin that was a girl. So anytime we'd go to my grandparents' house, which really was only about 10 minutes um, I was the only guy. So me and my grandfather, we had a good relationship because he could do the boy stuff with me, right? We could, we could build stuff and I could tear it down. And, and he taught me early how to use a crowbar and the many things that you can destroy with a crowbar single-handedly. But also we would, we would try to build and, and, and he would teach me that. And, and there's some things that he had that we always had to do. And one was going to the barbershop. I had to part my hair. You None know, of that crazy hair, you know. You had to wake up in the morning for him. You had to wake up in the morning, you put your khaki pants on, and then you comb your hair. Like, it was that way. I never knew him with his hair messed up. And so we'd go to the barbershop, and I'd have to part my hair. It still is almost trained that way, and I blame him for it. Um, but and I, it would freak me out because the old barbershop, y'all might know this, I was, is they would spray the hairspray on or whatever it was, and then the guy would use a lighter, like, right around your head to, like, set it in. All right? And as a kid, freaked me out. It's like, what are you doing? Right? You're not supposed to play with fire, and here's this guy right by my head with it. And But that was something they valued. You had to look nice. You had to be presentable. And, and the other thing is I always had to shake his hand. Anytime we made a deal, anytime I met him, I had to shake his hand. And it couldn't be that weak handshake, right? It was like, shake my hand like a man, you know? And and it was that firm, and he kind of scared me because he had uh, he worked building cotton gins, but he had cut off one of his fingers. And if you didn't shake him, he would, like, nub you. Like, if it wasn't hard enough, he would, like, nub you. And if you ever been, I mean, that's just bone, and it was, so you shook his hand. But, but that's the same, that's, that was a value of his because it was sincere, and he was remembering times when a handshake was good enough. But when a handshake meant yes, and there was no doubt. And see, we don't live in that anymore. We live in a society that we protect ourselves through contracts we have more detailed contracts for our cell phones than they did for mortgages right and and so what happens though is then we place the same type of agreement the same thing with christ and we don't follow him unconditionally we put conditions on that we put conditions between our surrendering and following him to protect ourselves and we're going to see today that through this, that there's, there's three conditions that we have to remove if we're going to follow him unconditionally. And first is the condition of other gods. And we see this in the, in, in the first part of this passage, and we have an interesting interchange with Jesus and a, and a young man. He's labeled as a rich young man. We know he had possessions. We don't know his name. But in all the accounts, he's a rich man. He's a young man. And he, and he runs up to Jesus as Jesus is about to set out okay, he's been in this area, and Jesus is about to leave, and he's going to Jerusalem. He's already told the the disciples and the followers that he must die, the Son of Man must die, and he's about to set out to go to Jerusalem for that to happen, okay? And as as he's setting out, this man runs up to him and, and kneels before him, and you can almost see this sense of urgency in this man, almost as if he had this desire to talk to jesus but he was hesitant and i see this time i'm also i teach at the high school in Lampasas. i see this with my students you know they're going to ask a question and they just can't get the courage to do it and so they wait and wait and wait and finally they just throw it out there and that's almost what we have here is he's running up to jesus he's setting off on his journey he runs up to jesus kneels before him and he says good teacher what must i do to inherit eternal life and it's great that he asked that question because that's what we ask too. That's the question everyone seeks to find. What must we do to inherit eternal life? That's what everyone wants to know. How can we find security forever? And, and Jesus first, in the, in the first response Jesus gives, is he asks him, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. And what we see there is, as Jesus is not, Telling him that he's wrong, he's actually affirming that he is God. He doesn't tell the man, why, why do you call me good? You shouldn't. He says, God is good alone. And so we see that, that Jesus is affirming his divinity here, and then he answers him by stating some of the commandments. And you see it don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, bear false witness, defraud, honor your father and mother. And curiously, those are all the commandments that involve an external behavior. Everything that he leaves out is an internal thing that Jesus leaves out. So he answers the man this way because that's what the man was asking. What must I do? And so Jesus answers him that way. He says, well, don't murder, don't steal. You know the commandments. And we can see here that the guy says, I've done all these things. I've done all those. I've kept the commandments since my youth. So we find here that here's a guy that's done it. He's like the poster child, in a sense, for following the rules and doing the right thing. If anyone has inherited anything through action, it's going to be this guy. You know, easy, some of them are easy to find. You know if you've murdered someone, right? I mean, it's pretty obvious. You know if you've, you've stolen. And even honoring your father and mother, you, can, you know if you've done that. And here this guy plainly says... I've done all of those since my youth. So before these, he's not guilty. But the, the wonderful thing and that's encouraging to us in our condition now is that Jesus loved him enough not to leave him in that condition. He loved him enough to pry a little bit further. And we see that at the end of verse 21. He says, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure. And then come and follow me. You see, Jesus pointed out the condition of other gods. And for this man, it was wealth. He couldn't let go of that. His possessions, his wealth, his entitlement with that was more than he could give up. So he would place that condition to protect himself. He had security in that instead of completely in Christ. And so, in order to follow Jesus, as you see, He had to remove that condition. He had to remove that condition from following Jesus so that he could actually unconditionally be there. And that's the same thing that, that, that we have. We place things in our lives before Christ. We place conditions. For me, a lot of times, it's time. I have a bunch of different hats that I wear uh, you know, Dave mentioned that we're, we're trying to plant a church and starting that and all the documents and paperwork, as well as teaching class here, juggling all that, teaching class in I have geography, economics, I get lesson plans, it's all crazy, I, the golf coach. So there's all things. Not that I'm the only one that has that. I understand everyone's busy. But that, a lot of times, becomes my other God. Because when I manage it well, I'm proud of myself. And when I do those, I start scheduling in God. Okay, okay. well, I have an off night here, so I might as well do that. You can do this. And, and so I put him in the category of everything else. And I set a condition that when you fit in my schedule, we will be all right. And I place my time as another God that, that holds us in between that. And you most likely do the same thing. But we have to be careful and remember that just like this guy, we can seemingly have it figured out. And all the while, not be following Jesus unconditionally. In reality, if we look at it, although we do the right things, we say the right things, we might come at the right times and all that, we're not following Him. We're following another God. Functionally, somewhere, there's another Savior in our life. And until we remove that condition, we can't follow Him unconditionally. It's just like this guy. We will walk away disheartened and sorrowful if we can't. And so, think about that. You understand that. Why are you holding on to these other gods? Because you cannot follow Christ unconditionally with other gods. There's only room at the top for one. And next we find that um, we have an interesting story at the next part of this. Is Jesus is looking around and he sees his disciples and they've heard this interchange and they've seen this. And he's not losing the moment to teach them. He says, how difficult will it be for those to have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And this kind of blew them away. Their minds are like, I don't understand this. He had it right. He'd followed. He'd done the rules and then he says again, he, he takes it up another notch and he says, Children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And so we see next that if we're going to follow him unconditionally, we have to remove the condition of control. And that's just in our nature. But, but one thing with these verses is I was looking through this and knowing that, that Dave had given me this passage, and it's exciting. So that's a, that's a cool verse when you read it, the camel. And I thought, what would Dave do, right? If I'm up here, what would Dave do right now? And all of you know Dave would find the coolest camel picture and put it on the screen, right? Wherever he finds them, if it's Google, whatever. I think he has a special little database of cool sermon pictures. But he would find that, and he would put it up there, and then somewhere up there, there would be a needle, you might not be able to see it, but he would promise you that it's there, right? And so I was thinking, this is perfect. Our golf schedule the last two weeks, we've had to be in Waco for tournaments, and when we go to Waco from Lampasas, we, we cut through 580 and go through Topsy, and then get to Gatesville that way. Well, Topsy has this exotic game ranch, right? And every time in the last few years, there's been a camel by the road, and I was like, yes. I can one up Dave and I can get a picture of a real camel, me standing there. And so as we're driving up, I'm telling my team, all right, y'all got to find the camel. I've got to find the camel. And you know what happened? It wasn't there, right? Because <laughs> every time it's there, and when I need the stupid camel, he's nowhere to be found. Like, we even literally, I was going and I've got a kid, he can spot deer like crazy. And I'm like, if anyone can, and he's like, wait, I think I saw it. So literally, we're in the school car. We stop, turn around, and drive around to find this camel, and it's a pile of rocks. I'm like, he failed me. And so I had to do something because that's what David, and so I raided our, our children. We have a, a little people. Y'all with small kids, you know the little people. They're everything, right? And we have a little nativity scene. So I stole the camel from it, and I got this. <laughs> All right, I put the C there so you know it is a camel. It could be easily... Disguised for something else. Chris told me that I was cheating by using a toy camel, but that's the best I can. And you can, see, you can see the needle, though. It can't go through it. Even a little toy can't go through it. And so we realize that what he's talking about here is we have to give up control. We have to give up control because it's not possible for us. It's impossible for us. And I know some of you, while we're looking at this, you're like, well, Jesus could do it, right? We think that. And that's exactly the point. That's exactly the point. Yes, He could. Look at what He says next. They're exceedingly astonished. Their mind, they can't understand. And so they're they're worried and they're grasping it strong. Then who can be saved? Who can be saved? Because they understood you couldn't do it. Who can be saved? And He says, with man is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And that's what we have to understand more than anything. Is Yes, this is an exciting verse. It's very descriptive. There's all sorts of ways that we can think what this means. But it's better just to understand that it's impossible with us. Quit trying to filter out everything and control even what this means and just realize that it is impossible with us. Uh, this past uh, Christmas... Lindsay, my wife, and I uh, finally broke down and bought a Wii for our kids. we got a five-year-old son and a three-year-old daughter. So we're a little behind the times. You know, we got a Wii, but uh, we went and found a good deal. And with the Wii, we got a Cars 2 the video game. Well, because Keaton, our son, he loves the cars. He'll like line them up for hours and play with them. And then our daughter will come in and just mess them up just to do it, right? But it's his way of trying to control. And the same thing happens with the Wii. He has to have player one. But why? Because it controls everything. And he'll even, he'll think of extravagant ways to trade Kelby, our daughter, for player one, because he's figured out the little lights at the bottom, show you which, which one's one. And he'll trade her the steering wheel, if I can have one. But it's all his attempt to control. He, he's trying to control because he knows that picks what type of race, what course, and everything. Well, as we were going, after he's playing it for a while, he's getting better, and we earned new cars. So we got this reward now. And, and so he wanted, He started looking, how do I find these cars? And he found one in a race that we were racing against. And he freaked out because it was Midnight Francesco. It was this black Francesco. If you've seen Cars 2, you know he's the little indie car. And he had to know how to do it. So instead of just waiting until it, he asked me, can we find out how to get Midnight Francesco? It's like he's trying to control the game so much that he's going to ask how to get it. And what do I do? I just Google it, right? I'm going to control that. I'm not going to fight that battle, so I'm going to Google it. And you find out how to get the car. And it takes, it requires you going to get these spy cases that are hidden throughout the things. And you have to jump up, and they're kind of tricky. And the first one, is kind of like on the old platform, and you've got to jump off a ledge, onto a shipping container, jump again, and like turn side, sideways just to barely get it. And he couldn't do it. He, he couldn't do it. It wasn't possible for him to do it. And he kept trying... You have to have turbo, so we put in the cheat code for turbo so we can control that aspect, right? It's like, okay, you have turbo. He couldn't do it. And the whole time I'm sitting there telling him, let me do it for you. I can do it. Let me do it for you. Anyone ever do it? Because he wanted to control. It's the same thing we do. And finally, he let go of that condition. Finally, he let me do it, and I was able to get it for him. And we are able to get the car, and now he can play with it. And it's the same thing with us. What are we holding on to getting so close to completing and failing the whole time is Jesus saying, let me, let me. It's that control and it's inherent in its nature. We didn't teach our son to be controlling and try to capture everything and find ways to get it from his sister. That's just nature. We want to control every aspect of our lives. And that's what we see here. It's impossible with us but not with God. You have to remove that condition of control. And when we do that, we can follow Him unconditionally. And finally, we find ourselves with a condition of status. So when we read on past this, all things are possible with God. In verse 28, Peter begins to say, see, we've left everything and followed you. And right there, what we have is one, it's funny because it's Peter stepping out yet again. Peter's always that guy. Right? He's that guy that's going to say something, going to do something. Sometimes it benefits him. He was the one that climbed out of the boat. Okay? But there's something that's funny about Peter just saying, we've left everything and followed you. It's like, I'm good. But what he's doing, he's, he's, he's seeking praise. He's wanting confirmation of what he's done. And while it's funny that we see Peter, we do the same thing. Every time we create something you do something, don't you seek approval? But we're, gaining, we're trying to gain status through what we've done. Then here, Peter, he's trying to gain status for saying, yes, we've already followed you. We've left everything. But we do that. And our society pushes that. At work, the ones that create the best things get the rewards. And so we see that we find status in other things. And even when someone's not there, we give ourselves the credit, right? It's like, I'm going to pat myself on the back. You're typing away, and you're like, man, I, look at that. I did good on that. And you're talking to yourself. We're so ingrained at finding status in our accomplishments that we give it to ourselves. When I was thinking through this, I thought of the movie Castaway. Have you seen it? I don't even remember. It's 10 years or so. The whole thing's Tom Hanks, so it's kind of weird and random. But he's on the, the island, and he spears the, the crab or whatever, and he cracks it open and he like realizes, that's not good unless you cook it. Right? So what is, he immediately goes, I've got to create fire. So he goes to work, and he's going to the fire, and he finally builds the fire, and he's got this huge bonfire. No one else is on the island, and what does he do? Behold, look what I've created. It's like, there's no one there to see this, but yet he's giving it to himself. He's, I, I did this. And we do the same thing. We do the same thing. But, but look what, curiously, look what Jesus says. He tells Peter, Truly I say to you, there's no one that has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands. And first we have to understand there that we're not going to receive a hundred mothers. The point is we'll be rewarded. That we find reward in following Him unconditionally. And if we do leave those things for His sake and the Gospel, we'll find a reward. We find reward in that. And we see, though, the next part of that. It's the end of verse 30. It says, with persecutions. And Mark is the only place that you'll find that. And the two other uh, examples of the story, that's not added in there. So it's curious to know, but we need to understand that that just because we we're rewarded doesn't mean that it's always going to be good. It doesn't mean that it's going to be this joyful, just complete, everything goes your way, the, like Bruce Almighty, the stoplights all go green at the right time. Right? I drive through Cove every Sunday getting here, and sometimes you get there and you can make it through the lights. Other times you're there for an hour. Because every light you stop. If you ever driven through Cove, you know. All right. But it's the same thing. It's not going to be always perfect. They're going to have persecution. So how do we follow him unconditionally even through persecutions? We can see a passage in First Peter four. If you want to turn there, you can. It's first Peter four. Um, we're going to start in verse twelve. But it gives us an example of how we can follow him unconditionally, even when we have persecution. With persecutions, how that works. And in 1 Peter 4, verse 12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. In verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of God, or of glory of God rests upon you. How many times do we forget that? If we're insulted for the name of Christ, we're blessed. We can't forget that. We're blessed to be insulted for His name. In verse 15, it goes on, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And then we skip down to 19. 1 Peter 4, it says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. And that's where we have that picture of with persecution, we can still glorify Him because we have that name. Because we have status in Him. So just because it gets bad doesn't mean it's time to despair. It's time to praise because our status is in Him. It doesn't matter... If we fail in the world's standards, unless we have a condition of status, because that's when you lose hope. But when we realize that our status is not found in anything but Him. We can understand what's amazing about verse 31 there. It says, many who are first will be last, and last will be first. If we're considered last because of the gospel, because of following Him, we become first. That doesn't mean that everything's going to be bad. It doesn't mean that you can't have success and can't want to do good. It means that you can't, your desire to do good can't be gaining status for you instead of following Him unconditionally. You have to remove that condition and realize that we can find no status in anything that's more powerful, joyful, complete as the status we have in Christ. And that's, that's what we, we realize. And going back to Keaton and the Wii is um, after he's able to get that, and we opened up almost all the cars and we're having fun, the dreaded thing happened. They were starting the Wii one time, and it's the first. You know, you have the different games that you can have. You can save it on different, four different things so that you can control what you're doing and no one else can mess it up. And, and Hillman and Kelby were fighting over the, the controller and they hit the wrong button. They erased everything. Right? I mean, the game is pretty much completely unlocked. Now it's just race and have fun. Erased everything. Back to the start. And he was devastated when he opened it up, and there's only six cars now instead of 40. Right? I mean, it's okay to play, but he knew what else there was. And so I was reading or something while he was playing, and I noticed that he was on other tracks getting the cases. He wanted a Midnight Francesco. For some reason, that is the car to have. And he's getting the cases that he can get. And I asked him, I said, Keaton, do you want, me to, you want me to get that first case for you? He's like, no, I've already done it. So you see, what happened was that once he let go of his conditions, let go of his control and allowed me to do it and found that his status is actually complete, even though I'm the one that did it, he then was able to do it himself. Because he saw that it was capable. And that's the same thing we have here. How do you get rid of those conditions? You follow him unconditionally and realize that it's the power of the gospel that does it for you. It's been done for you. He did that. So you don't need any other gods. You have the one. You don't need to control your life Follow the one that gave it to you. He's capable of controlling it. Take that condition out and realize that our status is in Him because we see that we will find persecution and the age to come, eternal life. And so we see that it's secure in Him. Following Him unconditionally frees us to live the life that He has for us. And it's only when you do that You can't. So what are you holding on to? What conditions do you have? And if you're not willing to give them up, you're being deceived by your own fine print. You've placed that in there of protection, and it's really the one thing that's not protecting you. So remove those conditions. Forget the other gods, the false gods, that don't offer anything. Give up control and realize that your status is secure in Christ alone. That's how you can follow him unconditionally. And that's when you find the life that he would have for you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that it's not up to me. God, I thank you that even though I fell and stumble and fall, that you've done and you've stood for me. God, I pray that we remove our conditions, that we follow you unconditionally and allow ourselves to truly be moved by You.